Namaste. I like the word virtual stage because in a certain sense even what we do on the physical plane is a virtual stage. <laughs> a lot happens within inside which is beyond our reckoning. And we are largely actors who do not know the forces that push us. And it's an immense array of forces which move us, that make us speak, that make us think, feel, will, countless suggestions. And as long as we act under the impulsion of these forces, there cannot be any real freedom in the true sense of the word. So with this, I would uh, start, initiate the talk, a brief talk followed by question answers, as I am told, on the meaning of freedom and inner Swaraj. So freedom, now the beauty of all these terms that we use, uh, we are the human beings who use words, otherwise at an animal level we don't use words, the understanding is at a different level. We all give to these words a certain standardized definition based on a common ground of human experience. So when we use the word freedom, each one has his own understanding and there is of course a dictionary meaning to the word. But the beauty of human beings is that we can go beyond the written word, we can go beyond the dictionary and we can explore what a term really means. More importantly, what are the states that are accessible to us? Right now, we are not a privy to many things. Let's take the, an example of the word truth. Now, very often we'll see truth is a bare reality, truth is harsh, etc., etc., but all these are cliches till we have really discovered what truth is. What it means is that which alone is the imperishable, immutable substrate that supports the entire creation. Meaning thereby even when everything else collapses and goes away, there is something which remains. Call it source, call it origin, call it God. And that is truth. So the way we understand truth is very different. Now, of course, we, we call truth as facts and uh, opinions and viewpoints. Uh, that's a different story. And perhaps they are needed as a scaffolding. But none of that is truth. Truth is something far greater, far deeper. And when the Upanishad says, Satya mev jayate nanritam, this is what it is meaning. It's not referring to a legal truth or a personal viewpoint. So same with freedom, the, the term we can come, there are many terms which are like that, but let's take the word freedom. So freedom at the most primitive level, at the most early level of humanity, very close to the animal, is to do what my instincts dictate me. So that's how many of us understand freedom, that I'll do what I feel like. Now an animal does that. It, the difference is that in animal, it's the range of instinct which determine what an animal will do. So his freedom is never very seldom it will be disturbing to the totality of nature because he is driven by instincts. But in man the problem is there has to be conscious choices. That's our path or that's the thing given to us. So when we begin to be driven by instincts and use the word freedom, basically what we mean is living life like animals do is freedom. So obviously that is an absurdity because it's um, even if uh, by some strange means we could try that, it won't be possible to go very far because sooner or later my freedom is going to contradict somebody else's freedom. It cannot be at the cost of somebody's freedom because that's how human system operates. So we can't behave like a tiger and devour a uh, you know, deer and say, well, in my freedom, I felt like I am mighty and I will do what I feel like. So that's not freedom. Yet this is the commonest way we understand freedom. We as a race, I mean, not among those who are a little bit enlightened. And that leads to so much chaos in the world. 
it leads to both chaos it leads to hypocrisy where it doesn't lead to chaos chaos because every person wants to exercise this freedom this kind of a vital driven life life driven by desires and lusts and fears and angers and ambition uh, at the cost and expense of everything else because that's how it is and at the end it ransacks the whole fabric of society of of human civilization and we know its results so where this this kind of a freedom becomes a way of life then we are actually degenerating or gravitating towards um, not just animal but far worse because animal is still living in a narrow range with narrow capacities and animal if he is angry will probably uh, driven by his hunger will devour a a deer and that's the end of the story he'll use his claws and teeth but if a human being takes this route then he will devour using means which are far more sophisticated that mind has uh, developed and uh, he will not be satisfied with just a deer he will want a whole society of deer to be exterminated so that's the problem we face today which shurbindo beautifully put his um, you know on spot in 1914 Uh, or you know during the series of writings in the arya in the life divine that what we are facing is an evolutionary crisis and that is the significance of uh, all these uh, webinars etc that we are having today is that we have lived life trying to understand human beings as it has come down through the generations but what it really means being human and is being human the ultimate for human beings or something still greater now that's where we see that shurbindo and uh, yogis like swami vivekananda they have opened a new path so they say well the way you define freedom the way you understand life as human beings is very different from the way uh, if we make an ascension we can understand life it's just like at an animal level we understand life in a certain way but there is another way that we can understand life which is very different so as human beings true humanity begins when we understand that this freedom of mind should not impinge upon another person's freedom its highest ideal is democracy where each one is free but yet one is governed by an outer law so we can be free we are free to do what we feel like provided we don't contradict the law and the law is the result of uh, uh you know a set of people who think together as think tanks and they organize certain checks and balances punishments and rewards uh, that's how law operates but then when we ascend further as a human being then we discover there is an inner law even for our human beings and if we follow that inner law and that inner law is not in terms of a written constitution or a legal notice that inner law operates through a common ground of culture so this culture is far greater than let's say a textbook of law because textbook of law refers to a context in a period of time like some time back there was uh, you know if you had a land holding uh, doesn't matter who sold what but the man on the spot is the owner of the land now these are archaic laws and yet they persist but but uh, culture is something which is the best that a group of uh, people have ever produced now that is something which inspires an inner state in human beings which is the road to freedom and that road is called dharma it is no more following the outer law but following an inner law dharma which helps us and helps mankind so in other words the path to freedom is certainly not 
whatever I feel like doing, but the path to freedom lies in following the dharma. Now, this dharma is not outer rituals, as we all know, I'm sure. It's not about belonging to a certain religion or a group or practicing certain outer things. Well, one can do that, nothing wrong with that. It's like, you know, we do a set of things in everywhere, everything has its rituals, even science has its rituals. But that's not the core of dharma. The core of dharma comes from the root dra, that which holds. So, what holds creation? When we hold the creation together and are aligned to that originating impulse, that source, then we are on the path of dharma. Now, this is something not fixed and standardized like a dogma that there is a column of yes and no. Very often dharma presents certain um, real challenges in real life. So, dharma is something which is constantly evolving. There is a dharma of the kshatriya who must kill because now, you know, when, when somebody on the border kills someone, we don't have this that, you know, his freedom is contradicting somebody else's freedom. But we understand that this is dharma, this is a need of that moment. Similarly, there is a dharma of somebody who is pursuing the higher knowledge, dharma of the teacher. So there is the another aspect of dharma. One is it should be aligned to the deeper source. And second, it should be something which helps in the collective evolution of mankind. So if it cannot be like my dharma, I'll do what I feel like. Your dharma, you do what you feel like. No, it should be aligned with the collective march of mankind, which is an evolutionary march. The Gita speaks of it very beautifully. That why does a man who is free acts? How does he act? Because he is freed from the clutch of desire. He is freed from the lower instincts. He is freed from the animal life. So why would he act at all? Now this question is obviously raised by you know people who believe that there is, there is no other way to act except under the impulsion of instincts. So, the Gita gives a very beautiful answer. It says three things it focuses on. One is he acts according to Swadharma. Swadharma is the deepest cry within me. The angst, the existential aspect, that which seeks expression in me from the very core. And this Swadharma is lost because of, I mean, parents and modern education. Because, uh, you know, right from beginning we are told, succeed, 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 become wealthy, become rich and, you know, uh, have a, a plus position or a uh, government job which takes you high. So the real cry of a being is stifled. The result is so much depression that I see as a psychiatrist very often because people, they are born for something but they end up doing something else under the stress of same ambition and desire. So there is something called as Swadharma. Swadharma literally leaving aside all the various types of Swadharma. But Swadharma, what is my cry within me? What is it that I represent in this universe? What is my role? And that is something to be discovered. That is a very important aspect of education. An education which equips individuals with degrees and capacities to earn, to succeed materially, to get a job, but doesn't teach us what Swadharma is. Is an education which is bound to at some point or the other lead to a collapse of a civilization and a society. This is an inevitable course that it will happen. Unless we in integrate this deeper understanding of a human being with our educational system. And I suppose this kind of webinar, uh, I am uh, partly responding to the question that what is different. This is the difference that you know we are trying to understand who we are, why we are. These deeper questions, otherwise the standard protocol is you know, uh, how to fulfill certain things which are outwardly, how to make India better in terms of the outer law, rules, regulations, uh, economics uh, and politics, which is okay. But until we know who we are, so that's what it means. So we have different kinds of 
self within us from morning to night with change of seasons from childhood to adulthood to old age we discover these different selves so swadharma is something which is about an individual and what should be his action his dealing with life his impulsion his motive power the engines that should move him now that if he follows then he moves on the royal road to freedom this is what freedom is then second level swadharma is the second understanding of uh, freedom is what what does a man who is free is engaged in well the gita uses two terms sarva bhuta hitirata so such a person is busy engaged in the good of all creatures good means what good is not about you know giving blankets or good is not about feeding the poor good is about what is really good inside human beings to bring it out let's take a very simple example in our everyday life we meet 101 i mean 100 people hundreds of people so how do we deal with them we can deal with them thinking only of what is negative about them and thereby what are we doing we are strengthening the tendency which we actually want don't want in that person <laughs> whereas sarva bhut hiterata one is aspect of it is goodwill that well when we meet a human being there is a goodwill in everyone there is something good beautiful look at ramayana even with his so called arch enemy ravana rama is able to see something good he keeps stalling the war till god knows i mean till a time when he is capable of decimating the whole thing so that is called sarva bhutite rata same thing we see in mahabharata shri krishna tries because he sees some good in karna some good in bhishma some good in drona even in duryodhana so they he tries that let let it be stalled for a point of time but there are sometime when for the sake of the collective march of mankind wars have to be fought they are fought and they are part of that great march so sarva bhutite rata and this bhute hite rata is not just human beings now otherwise we can say that okay i am doing good for humanity humanity is not sufficient a humanity which devours animal life which destroys the ransacks earth plants mountains Uh, such a humanity will one day be uh, you know implode and collapse under its own weight so sarva bhutite rata means all the elements everything should be in balance and all these elements that weave the fabric of creation at every level so that is the march of mankind the second aspect of uh, this um, dharma which leads us to freedom is lok sangraharth to hold the people together so there is nothing like my individual freedom alone yes it's important so dharma takes care of that but also it should be to hold lok sangraharth how can i hold how can i exercise my freedom in a way that everybody is it's an inclusive freedom it's not an exclusive freedom when a group or uh, whether it be religious secular ideological doesn't matter when a group starts asserting its own freedom or an individual at the expense of another group then it is going contrary to this great uh, word of the gita which is lok sangraharth so while we all have our freedom but this freedom is not meant to destroy other freedom see when shurbindu spoke about swaraj so he already clarified it that there is a political freedom and there is a inner freedom and he says that political freedom is necessary but necessary so that we can have the inner freedom to be ourselves because if i remain a slave if all my time all my life is at the mercy of somebody else how can i really exercise my true swadharma and really develop along the lines that i have to develop a slave is neither respected nor you know nobody cares for that so the freedom at two levels one is the outer swaraj outer swaraj is essentially 
that I should have the right to self-determination. There is the political freedom and that's a fundamental necessity because, uh, you know, paradhina sapne hu sukhnahi. And the second freedom, when we have the political freedom, what do we do with that freedom? That is the inner swaraj. That now we have the freedom, uh, we are no more under the subjection of, let's say, the colonial rule or anything all other forces. Now, how we use our this state of freedom, political freedom, is what is called as inner Swaraj. Meaning thereby, now we should discover who we are as a people. Now, there is a tendency sometimes uh, to prematurely say we are all one, we are all same. Nature contradicts it. It's not about reading a book. In nature, there are multiple varieties and each adds to the beauty of the whole. So nature doesn't make everything same, everything uniform. That oneness is inside as a deep essence of thing, core of things. But at the same time, there is variety, there is abundance, there is richness. That's how uh, we see in nature that no two leaves are the same, even on the same tree. So unity is in diversity and not in uniformity. So each nation has its own strength. Inner Swaraj essentially applies to a national level. That each nation has its own unique strength. Bring it out. Place it before the world as a collective yagna. So there are two kinds of uh, nationalism. One is where, which is the aggressive uh, nationalism, which is typified in the Ramayana and the Mahabharata with the, uh, you know, Ravana type of nationalism. Or, you know, he has kept his country and its people very well. They all live, you know, they have millions of dollars at that point of time and it's all a golden lanka. But, it is at the expense of extracting from every other, right up to Dandkarane, he had uh, invaded and captured and turned them into a Rakshasi. They had lost their civilization. These people had become Rakshasik and Asurik so much that the stamp still carries on. There are people who identify with Ravana. That was the kind of, um, you know, culture he had or, or the lack of it which he had, you know, spread all around. Uh, his um, chariot stopped post Vindya because there were the great upholders of the Mithila dynasty and the you know Ayudhya dynasty so it, it stopped there otherwise it would have uh, gone still further he couldn't cross the Vindyas to you know ransack them but this kind of a thing where each group has its own expression group life but this expression should not be to devour others so Ravana type of um, nationalism is this whereas we see Rama type of nationalism or Krishna type of nationalism what does Rama do? he conquers uh, Lanka but he doesn't establish there a military rule of his own type he hands over the reins to Vibhishna that's what we see is called as the, uh, the kind of true nationalism where he once again allows Vibhishna to bring out the best in that culture and then his army comes back. In Kishkinda, he establishes, though he, he can literally rule it, but he establishes once again Angad and Sugriv that you people take care and become the best. And of course, in the larger umbrella of Chakravarti Samrat. So there, is, there are two kinds of nationalisms. Um, one is where we become Swara, we gain Swaraj so that we can discover ourselves. And that is the first necessity right now for every Indian. Because, well, every country for that matter, Japan should discover its own samurai strength. The Europe must discover its own great, ancient, wonderful things which are there in its culture. So at this point of time, we have the political freedom, but we don't have the inner Swaraj. We don't even know who we are as a people. And for that, we need to connect to our roots. There is no other way we can do it. 
and when we connect to our roots we should connect it our way not the way that you know uh, europe tells us that look here you know you have wonderful uh, you have uh, great fantastic books which are full of imagination like mahabharata and ramayana and you know we start mocking at this own literature that is the european way of connecting with our roots because his mind is grooved in a certain way it's a very crude mind they atmabodh whereas when we connect with our own roots we connect it in a very different way we are a whole um, civilization which is erected it has gone beyond belief and non belief to the discovery of the essential truth we are a spiritual race by the very uh, you know long history nowhere else in the world and as far as india is concerned of course this is true of the entire world in a certain way but india must show the way what really is Uh, what is meant by spiritual freedom because you know we use this word in the highest sense what 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 we use for freedom we use the word moksha liberation mukti and this moksha is what it's a freedom from complete ignorance what is ignorance ignorance is that i do not know who i am i think my body is me and when the body is uh, you know die we say that man has died or i think that my little personality is myself but the freedom true freedom begins when i discover that i am the avinashi i am within me is the immutable lord seated in the heart of all creatures freedom begins when i discover that within me is the indestructible imperishable soul that is the beginning of freedom that part which is free if you read the sankhya it's very interesting that there is prakriti and there is the purusha element now there are there is a purusha element in everyone that is the soul in man and it can either be completely absorbed like watching a television one is absorbed and starts weeping starts laughing depending on what what is happening in the show or even while watching there is something which can separate completely so freedom comes when we learn that i am not this nature which is struggling all the time of course it doesn't mean accepting everything in nature but that's the let next part but first to know who i am i am a soul which is okay it's struggling in evolution but it's not this nature which is bound me next step is that i not only i am not this nature but the true soul within the true self the swa within us but now i want to be the master of nature it's not that somebody is to take a practical example somebody says a harsh word or something happens somebody insults and my nature reacts with uh, uh, all kinds of you know uh, either suggestions anger hate etc or there is this television news going around oh this illness is coming this illness is coming and we are all down into fear now this is not autonomy and freedom this is completely being at the mercy of the whole world forces and their play somebody comes and says uh, sweet things to me praises me and i feel oh he is the best person in the world this is not freedom now and we can see how this lack of freedom leads to so many problems psychophancy develops because of that all kinds of erroneous decisions take place because of that because we are not able to separate we are completely identified with nature hate stories they all develop because of that murderous instincts awaken because of that whereas when we have discovered the soul within then we try to connect with the soul within each individual and at the same time we try to master our nature because that is the vantage point and that mastery of our own nature is truly swaraj when i am a master of my own nature i reign over my being there is a very beautiful story of the buddha 
this called swaraj and when somebody comes uh, somebody is very angry and comes and you know starts abusing him even spits at the whole thing and buddha is sitting calm and smiling when he goes away after everything then next day he realizes you know that he has done a mistake so he comes to buddha and says i am so sorry i am so sorry uh, buddha says sorry for what he said i am the one who insulted you so much yesterday so buddha said but you are not the same person today you see that that ability to see that inner change differences of personality this freedom brings a lot of compassion it brings a lot of the whole action becomes very different than when we are a slave to the movements of nature there is another it's not about we should not have rich or richness or abundance but it's about being free like king janak in spite of all these and two stories with which maybe you know because uh, i i suppose there have to be questions but two little stories which indicate what really swaraj is so there is a story of somebody who goes it's a sufi story where someone goes to uh, uh, you know visit a sufi monk and he sees there and sees there is hardly anything no furniture nothing so he says um, why is your house so empty so the owner of the house the sufi he says well i am a visitor here <laughs> uh, no he asked this other why is your house so empty so he asked uh, this other person that uh, why didn't you carry everything with you he said because i am a visitor here and and the owner of the house says i too am a visitor so this is one approach where one is freed from all the external trapping but there is another approach which is a more powerful which is an approach which uh, is unique to india that in the midst of everything we can be free and that story is typified by uh, you know narada going to king janak to learn about brahma gyana and he see janak sitting lording over in a nice throne his one hand uh, it it was told about janak that one could apply chandan lep to one hand and uh, put the other hand in in kind of fire and he would remain equal and when he sees janak with all those nice uh, dance going on and uh, in a court all that you know beautiful things happen so narad is wondering that you know uh, how can he have brahma gyana and janak tells him today you rest tomorrow we'll discuss so he is a bit you know disgusted this cannot be brahma gyana but still he says um the story is retold as shukdev or narad doesn't matter the essence is the same so next day he says yes sir i have been sent by so and so to have brahma gyana from you and he you know is partly smiling that perhaps it's a wrong choice and janak says we'll talk about brahma gyana later but why don't you go to the city and see it now that was the last straw in the <laughs> the probable last straw he said what is it i have come for brahma gyana you should discuss with me tell me high philosophy according to vedanta and upanishad but he is telling sending me to the uh, city to see it he said okay fine so be it he says but wait a second you carry a pot of uh, water with you fill to the brim and if a drop falls down you will get some kind of punishment now he comes through the city and janak asks him so how was the city he says i couldn't enjoy it why because my concentration was on the pot of it now this freedom where we are ability to shift our focus at our own choice within a moment that is the state of inner freedom in which we you know often we hear live from moment to moment how do we live unless we are master of ourselves a moment comes and drives us and we are driven by it so inner freedom is when we discover that poise that vantage point that soul entangled in nature which can extract itself or that high spiritual state the self above 
which from where we can regard the manifold changes and happenings in the world and exercise a conscious choice and what is that conscious choice ultimately the highest sense of freedom is to do according to the divine will meaning thereby our life should become an expression of the divine will that is the highest freedom that a man is capable of because then why why should we act according to divine will for, for the sake of logic we can say that because the divine will is not just an individual will it's a will which is progressive in the whole universe it's not an arbitrary will it may seem like that so when we act according to the divine will everything connected with us is taken care of it may not be immediately understood which is what the whole gita is about Arjuna wants to exercise his freedom. He has choices. He can fight for his own um, people, or he can take a sannyas, and all these are valid choices, equally valid. But the Gita bids him to rise higher to an another level, and it says, "Do the bidding of the divine purpose within you." So, what is that purpose? And then Sri Krishna reveals, for the moment, this purpose is that this civilization, which has developed along a certain line of acute egoism and ambition has to collapse this is the divine purpose and whether you act or not this will be done but if you act according to the divine will you will rise to a state of uh, inner freedom whereby he says toward the end of the gita sarva dharman parityajya mam ekam sharanam raja aham twa sarva papebhyo mokshishyami masucha so that moksha mukti is not about going away from earth into some other plane not returning back for birth and rebirth that's a complete misconstruction of the whole term moksha is an inner state wherein we are inwardly free we are free to respond in a certain way we are free in terms of our nature there is a vritti which is rising up and we are able to not suppress or curb it but to be able to very smilingly just brush it aside or to give it a direction which is also a choice that instead of doing that i give it a direction all impulses i give it an upward orientation a more beautiful direction a more that's what should be the yoga of transformation is that every nature's uh, uh, movement has to be given a divine direction right now they are under the control of uh, the human ego or the animal instinct or the rakshasa and the asura they have to be lifted towards a god like stature that's what transformation is about and of course in that this is the help of the divine will embodied as divine mother so this is in a freedom wherein we are masters and that's what the word swami means incidentally swami is not an epithet or a medal we carry because we have joined an order of monks so we are put swami and ananda so it's very interesting that the word when in the order of monks when somebody joins a order of monks he has a swami in the beginning then some name given by the master and then ananda so this tradition what it means is swami i am the master of myself it doesn't mean i am like i'll do what i feel like no it doesn't mean that i am master of my own nature i am not driven by instincts i am not driven by desires i am not driven by ambitions i am not driven by lusts i am not driven by fear but i do the bidding of the divine within me so that is swami now when we do this then we fulfill the purpose of our life that is the next part of the name so supposing let us say swami so and so ananda so this so and so very often we'll see that name is very symbolic it's typical vivekananda so vivek when i am master of myself then i manifest the discerning intelligence in the world which is what swami vivekananda actually manifested in the world and then when i do that when i fulfill my purpose being my own master of my nature when i am driven by god's purpose within me then what happens 
God's bliss and oneness are our inborn right. That is ananda. So when we lead a life like that, then there is peace, there is ananda, not only within, but in all this world. So first, when we establish this inner freedom, this swaraj, inner swaraj, swaraj, then the next step is samrat and samraj. So in the Indian thought, the it was only a person who had the swaraj within. He could expand the empire and have a samraj. So that's why the kings were regarded as somebody who... Uh, you know, who is a descendant of Vishnu. So what Vishnu does, Vishnu, uh, Lord Vishnu is always preserving the balance of dharma. He'll never do anything which is a dharma. It may look like on the surface, but he has to keep the balance of dharma in creation. That was the role of the king. And anybody who has got this Swaraj extends this empire into Samraj. So Buddha, he has Swaraj. And then Buddha expands it into a Samraj. It's not only about being a king or any human being, let's say in a field of study. Somebody who has mastered himself and mastered his skill or his work, whatever it be. He extends it into this whole world. That is Samraj. Samraj is not just a outward political control, which is okay, that's one part of it. But the real Samraj is that when I have mastered myself, I help in creating a similar kind or even better kind, who knows, by extending into this whole world. Because my consciousness is freed from the clutch of this little formation that I call myself and therefore I can extend into the whole cosmos, into all creation. Such a human being when he goes into the world is ever engaged in Sarva Bhuti Tirata. Even if he does nothing, because he is inwardly free, because he is open to the divine forces, when he meets an animal, when he communicates with a plant, when he meets human being, he is constantly a receptacle and a dynamo for God's work. He is pouring the divine forces into this world. He doesn't have to be recognized by anyone. He doesn't have to be known or well-known, unknown. None of this matters because he is not doing anything for that purpose. His mere presence is enough to extend God's Samraj, the true Samraj, which has been misunderstood by, in a limited way, the divine Samraj. He is the Samrat, but when we limit him to my God is the Samrat and another God is not the Samrat, then we have clashes. But the true meaning of Ram Rajya, the true meaning of, you know, God governing the world is this, that when each one of us awakens within us the individual divinity, when each one of us connects with the universal divinity and its rhythm, its play, its unfolding through, a, you know, dharma in this universe and play our part in it, then we help in establishing the true Ram Rajya, the true God's world uh, heaven on earth, call it whatever, the true brotherhood, not the brotherhood of this group or that group. And world becomes beautiful and harmonious and a little more peaceful by the presence of such human beings. That is the state to which we must rise and for that India must show the way. That's why India has gained political freedom. It has gained outer Swaraj for this purpose because it has to lead humanity in that this work nobody else can lead because they don't even have an idea that what it means. And we are very fortunate, extremely fortunate to be born in this country where right from mother's milk we have taken these things. Though unfortunately last uh, you know few decades I must say that there have been a concerted attempt to like Putna destroying Krishna in the... Uh, you know, the moment he comes or like Kansa, to destroy this true virasat that we have received from 
the great rishis who are our ancestors our ancestors are not just my grandfather and great but those who established in this land the ring of dharma the urge towards spiritual ascension the methods towards self conquest and we must awaken to that and show the, to the world what is true freedom and lead the world towards true freedom which is the freedom of the soul the freedom of the spirit uh, which alone can rescue mankind out of the morass in which it is caught um, thank you so much i would rather welcome questions uh, please feel free to ask thank you sir thank you for such an enlightened session what i understand is dharma is not the truth rather it's a way of finding the truth and if your current opinions uh, or current findings change your opinions about the past it doesn't mean that the past was false but you have learned the new path of knowing the truth now i would request my coordinator co coordinator mr meg gosami to please chair the q and a session thank you sir good morning sir good morning can you accept my gratitude we have now with us a question from mr shravan sudhir hegde from department of geopolitics and international relations okay. manipal academy he wants to ask can fear jeopardize our freedoms can it be used in a manner where freedoms are fortified in order to gain a sense of security okay i think as i understand the question first part is that can fear jeopardize our freedom on the other hand it's about fear creating a sense of security well fear is the worst kind of response if we look at the ontogenesis of fear and it's not about views and opinions but we can observe nature we don't need to read a book actually to understand this fear is the most primitive response of an organism to preserve itself so to that extent the question there is an interconnectedness but the problem of fear is it starts with self preservation but it goes at extermination of everything that is around it because in fear out of fear many of the group you will see they start playing the you know we are martyrs we are the ones who have suffered because this fear is inducing people to do that the people who in fear have committed crimes deadly crimes fear suspicion it comes across because they are afraid that tomorrow something may happen and they have almost you know swiss canal crisis and many others where people were on the push button for a nuclear war so we we need to understand that while fear has a role when we are not yet awakened in an animal consciousness it is this fear which makes a person shrink and avoid that which is dangerous but as human beings as we grow we realize that there is something much higher in us of course we must avoid things which are harmful or dangerous we should not be indiscriminating and that can be done by a higher discerning intelligence that's the path for man the path of fear where an animal is afraid and it stays within its limit is fine at a level of the animal kind but if we adopt that path because of the presence of the mind it gets amplified it gets into very many distorted tangles in animals it doesn't happen animal is afraid it lives within its den in human being because the mind is there and mind apprehends possibilities so the moment fear comes in it starts seeing an enemy where there is none it starts feeling an enemy's breath right next to the neck it starts suspecting everybody i mean at an extreme as a psychiatrist i see so many people you know driven by fear and eventually it shuts one in a hole of depression and suspicion 
which is not a healthy thing for human being. But instead of freer, yes, we need to be careful and cautious. There is no doubt about it. If we just say, all is one, all is God, then we are doing a very, very dangerous uh, practice. But replace fear with true knowledge, with true discernment. So a person may, you know, I'll give an example in medical science. There are people who say, if I take um, uh, curd, I will fall ill. If I take uh, Emily tamarind, I'll fall ill. And they are all the time afraid of everything. And this fear becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because we have fear in the mind instead of faith. We are all the time, our body is working along uh, those lines. So the moment we take curd, we fall sick. Not because of the curd, but because of the fear. So fear is a very strong suggestion. Which prevents us from advancing. It becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Tell a child that you are useless, useless. The child ends up you know, fulfilling that. Whereas the right response should be discernment. If the moment I have an information, I took curd and I fall sick. Our discerning intelligence should say, well, it is, is it curd or something else? That's how science proceeds. So fear is a very unscientific and irrational response. It should be replaced with either reason or still higher than reason, a discernment which tells us what is the right course of action, keeping in mind all the possibilities at a given point of time. And we don't do it. And if we don't do it, then of course we run the risk of being run over. That was what a uh, classical example is with Shirobindo when Hitler was, you know, all around, uh, um, uh, you know, he was expanding his empire and there were people within India and I don't want to name them who felt that it's very nice to shake hands with Hitler because Britishers are our common enemies. Now this was and this was even justified in many ways but Shurabindo had the discernment to see that this is a very dangerous thing one is doing because it's like literally at a very practical level there are people who form political connections high political connections i'm not talking of good politicians there are good politicians of course or they form bonds with certain nations you know what's happening in um, now in lanka i hope they are cautious or pakistan you know they become vassal states because of fear they go to a more powerful person to form a bond not realizing that it is the same old story like when you uh, have a dawn to protect you this dawn will protect you but also usurp you. Because he, that's his nature. So you don't keep a snake to guard your house. Because one day he'll bite you. So that's where we must understand that fear at individual level and collective level should be replaced with a discerning intelligence. Which is also important for security. Security, safety is important. Why it is important is not because one has to fight but because without that. Otherwise if freedom is taken away, the same question, political freedom. Then... Can we really exercise the evolutionary impulsion within us? No. If let's say Hitler had come or the Chinese came into India almost, then can an average Indian really talk about spiritual freedom, evolution, growth, being Indian? Nothing. Because now you are a subject nation. So we don't want once again a scenario where there is even the outer Swaraj is taken away. So we have to have the discernment. But at the same time, we must have a strong discernment, not fear. Fear makes us weak, paralyzes us. When we are in front of somebody whom we think dominates us and we are afraid of that person, we make responses which are not the right one. There are animals when they are being preyed upon, uh, at a point when they feel that the enemy is too close, they become too docile. They literally almost enjoy being devoted. It's a known thing, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and all these things are the product of this. They believe that now the enemy is going to kill me. So they start sympathizing with the enemy as if, you know, they are 
becoming a martyr and a, doing a very good thing by <laughs> being killed. So fear should be out is the worst kind of impurity that one can have. At a national level, it leads to so much chaos, uh, so much unwanted, you know, waste of human life, resources and, uh, you know, efforts. But yes, discernment, yes. Lack of fear doesn't mean disregarding national security, uh, like in any individual, so in a group life. One must have a discerning intelligence and safeguard the nation, not because it wants to expand, but because safeguarding a nation is to uh, help a group to develop along its own lines. Otherwise, it cannot develop. That's why last uh, 50, 60, one century we see most of the subject nations have become independent, one way or the other. Because that is an impulsion in nature now. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Being a psychologist, I got most of your analogies on a personal level. Yeah. With a sheer example of classical conditioning of the curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah it. Cognitive corrections are one of the basic parts of therapies as well. So we should True. utilize them in day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, another question, which is from Himachal Pradesh by Ms. Priyanka Sharma. Okay. She asked that, uh, just one minute. Inner Swaraj is closely linked with healthy human capital. As we are heading towards the aim of Atmanirbhartha, what basic changes can be brought in school curriculum to guide school children towards the same in the very initial school. A lot of people want to know the basic structure of education towards be it school level, be it higher uh, level education, then how to promote students to or the youth towards the role of Atmanirbhartha. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful question. So now the thing is, I want to answer with a paradox. So the question is, what structures? I would rather say do away with most of the structures. They are stifling to the growth of a uh, individual in modern times see all the children today they want space and freedom to explore they don't understand its meaning that's a different point and we are the ones who are setting the wrong example but children should be allowed space and time and freedom in a school to explore it should not be everything like a fixed curriculum they are entering a machine you know that famous song of the 60s we want no education of the 50s i think it was uh, Paul McCartney so that should yeah Pink Floyd that's right so that has to go that approach we are not products of a machine schools are too much into you know uh, material success and you know outer uh, making grooming us into very smart kids and who are you know uh, gaining very good marks well then their real growth is gone they right from the childhood and childhood is the best time let them hear stories which are truly tell us what true greatness is and through these stories to allow them to explore. Now, it obviously means a lot of change. If we have, let's say, a ratio of 30 students and one teacher, it's an impossibility. If we, you know, keep this kind of education reserved only for those who are, you know, uh, rich people, it won't work out. So it needs a lot of change and shift at many levels, including the political level. But, well, change starts like, a, you know, these webinars, these little thoughts here and there. That's how one day it will happen. But they need, there needs to be less and less structure and more and more freedom and plasticity to approach. The kind of experiment we see Shurabindu Ashram uh, started and in Mirambika in Delhi, uh, they are you know, doing it. Where you, when, when children explore in freedom, they, they discover. I'll give you a simple example from uh, our own tradition. You know, when children were born, nowadays it's like uh, this child has to become this or do this. 
Now, how did uh, they used to do it? There was a very simple way. Uh, children were, you know, few things were placed in front of them. I don't know if uh, anybody has experienced this dawat, which was the ink pot uh, and a little, you know, uh, innocuous dagger, of course, inside the sheath. <laughs> and uh, things like, you know, cooking or uh, a paper with drawing. And it was seen which way the child is naturally inclined. Now, I'm not saying this is a foolproof method or a method we should use now. But the principle was that the child's soul will tell you what it is really drawn towards. This is important. That's what free progress means. Each child is unique to bring out that uniqueness. Now, there is, of course, a collective aspect, but that uniqueness is important. So, we must allow that freedom. It means a lot more interaction at a personal level, barring the uh, curriculum. So, right now, the focus is on subjects, but there is no focus on the child. Now, even if we don't keep a separate subject like value education or, you know, things like self-exploration, I would I prefer that term more than, well, there are two different things. You know, value education sometimes, you know, goes along uh, moral science, which uh, gets very boring. But uh, simply self-exploration, where children discover themselves and they discover who they are, what they are really interested in. And um, I suppose every school should have, uh, not only as children as they grow up, the teacher should observe these things in a child and note it. So just as we have a report card, uh, language, this much and that grade or that, instead of grade or marks, uh, there should be like ch- child's natural innate faculties, temperaments. And it, this report card should also be filled by the parents because they don't understand all this. They say at the end of the day, we have sent our child to become a product. What we could not become, let the child become. Or the way we became, let the child become that. So that's uh, making a child beaten into a fixed uh, uh, shape with parents have decided or, uh, you know, the teachers have decided is definitely doing a great harm. Let them explore, discover, keep space, time, energy, uh, pay special attention to self-exploration of children. What will the teachers do? They'll be moderators like ancient Gurukul. So in a Gurukul, people went and each one was treated with that kind of, you know, uh, like free progress example is uh, during the, uh, you know, when Pandavas, Kauravas, all of them were learning the Shastra Vidya. Dronacharya taught certain great uh, Astra Vidyas to Arjuna because he saw that here is the right candidate. He didn't teach it to everybody because maybe somebody could have even become a, you know, he, he, he almost, it almost happened when Ashwatthama learnt it. Uh, equally, he didn't teach to Eklavya. Because he saw that here is a man who at the behest of simply there is a dog barking at him. And he kills the dog so brutally and mercilessly with all the uh, arrows going into his mouth. It's a very cruel consciousness. So it's very dangerous to uh, have that. So each one, we have to help a child explore and discover. And uh, this standardized practice of a standardized everything is a mental way of doing it. That's the way democracy operates. But it misses upon the unique inner truth of an individual. So, true inner freedom, Swaraj, Swadharma, they will just remain words if we put them into a standard slot. This is the way it is done in the West and we have just accepted that system. But uh, in India, it never was like that. And it should one day, we hope that there will be educational institutions which will allow the scope of self-exploration of a child and a society and a world which accepts them at the end of the day. I mean, a parent should be fine if a child says, I want to do work with hands and be a good carpenter. Parents should understand there is nothing wrong with it. It also means a value for work. 
the whole society must shift right now are a carpenter heavy we don't mind going to a you know a big store and paying huge amount of money for a t-shirt which actually costs much less because it's a branded store but to a carpenter we try to haggle so there has to be a shift within everyone that we respect each one's dharma we respect that here is an individual who is doing his carpentry work wonderfully and deserves everything that we need to give him so it's a whole shift that is required at several levels and the term for that shift is how to have that shift is change of consciousness it is done in an inner way and every teacher should first focus on their own change of consciousness when they change when parents change then naturally it will get transmitted into children as such these children are harbingers of change in today's times they just need a little atmosphere uh, wherein they can blossom fully so create that atmosphere in the school for exploration for discovering themselves and the teachers and parents should also discover themselves that is a big problem because this this knowledge cannot be transmitted just by the intellectual mind we should discover and as we discover we transmit it into children all right namaste okay thank you thank you so much sir as we all know that this is the third day of our program so we have a participant here who want to express the learning and experiences he has till now so i would request rohit r to please unmute mr rohit are you there uh, yes sir can you hear me yes yeah. perfect Ah uh, yes, okay. So first thing, good morning to all present here. And sir, it was a great session listening to you. Alok sir, uh, you you actually motivated me, and it was a very good uh, morning speech. So thanks for that. And first, I would like to say is that I've attended many seminars, but a uh, very few webinars. But uh, Aurora University's webinar gave me the same seminar exper- uh, like experience because it is very easy to get zoned out in a webinar. But then over here. there was no room for me to get zoned out so it was that great so speaking about atmanirbhata bharat actually i had a very vague knowledge about atmanirbhata bharat so what was in my mind was i just knew that okay atmanirbhata is just towards creating a sustainable economy or a self reliant economy that that is what only the vague thing i had but now after these 3 days of the session i got a much a much better understanding about what is atmanirbhata bharat and how does it play a major role in our life like for example in yesterday's session has uh, vivek sir told us how did atmanirbhata play a major role in his life where he created he was a part of a team uh, which was involved in creating a super computer so which was a great achievement so now i've got a much better knowledge about what is atmanirbhata and how i can adopt it in my life so what is speaking of which how i can use this atmanirbhata in my life is since now i'm still an undergraduate i'm not yet graduated so i can't start my own business so but at a student level or at a consumer level what i feel i can do is that i can promote more of make in india so doing this i feel i can uh, substitute the imported goods and as uh, today alok sir told us uh, we can uh, respect the dharma of the indian uh, indian manufacturer so i feel yes i can contribute towards that i can respect the efforts put in by the indian manufacturers so this is what is my key takeaways for these three sessions whatever i have attended these three days so thank you for allowing me to speak thank you sir it's wonderful thank you so much it was i think the major initiative which we took 
of empowering the youth and making them understand the concept i think we are reaching towards the goal thank you so much sir coming uh, back to you we have another question and it is related to uh, namaste sir as far as i have understood that inner swaraj means attaining absolute clarity about the self attaining this clarity is on an individual level how can it be attained on a societal plane okay good question so yeah is that all or something else yeah yeah yes okay so that's a good question about swaraj clarity comes by knowing the self the true self raj is something else it's about reigning so where do we reign swaraj means to raj karna so we reign over our nature so merely knowing the self is not enough unless this extends over a mastery of our own nature so there are people for example by certain meditative practices etc we can discover ourselves and have clarity about who we are we can even have an intellectual clarity over who we are but we remain still subject to the ways of nature its dominations all kinds of instincts and fears so that's not really swaraj swaraj is yes discovering oneself is first step mastery of this true self over nature is the next step so this is one part now how can we do it at a collective level again so each nation as i said discovery this is a swadharma this is each one's unique path that they will choose this swadharma means an inner state as well as an outer expression the job or work or tendency that we need to express in this world it's our own gift to this world in the world yagna but at the national level let us say there is also a national yagya there is any ways it is going on and it is something being done at a much larger scale and that's why we see all these nations are going through all these turbulent phases because there is not just an individual being nation has a nation soul it tries to assert itself through whom through individuals who are individuals they are like many cells and links let's take a human body as a nation so what is the way towards a you know human body's health each part functions to its utmost in harmony with the rest so when it doesn't do that it becomes cancerous so my finger should be very good at grasping pointing touching and many works we do with the finger my tongue should be perfect in terms of its you know uh, speech its taste and all the functions of the tongue my eyes so same way each one of us should understand that we are not living for ourselves alone but for the larger unit called nation and next the third larger unit which is humanity and the fourth larger unity everything in creation and the fifth ultimate unity is the divine so when we understand that at all these level we exist and we must do something at that point of uh, you know uh, starting from above downwards ideal is unity of the divine and then it expresses itself in manifold ways then automatically over a period of time the shift takes place so how does the shift takes place at a larger level well it's not through policies it is through the change of the individuals and more the individuals the more there is a pressure on the consciousness of the collectivity you see that's the principle behind democracy you get the leader that you deserve so if there are more people who want that our leader should perform you will invariably see that that kind of a thing pops up simply because there are more people who have a change of heart but if there are more people who want freebies then you will see that useless leaders come because you know basically they will lure you with freebies and your life will be so basically we must understand that the more in the individuals grow in this sense of inner swaraj the more it will affect the national psyche 
it is an interdependence interconnectedness which is woven in the fabric of creation we are not separate or individuals and this is what is recognized in modern physics and morphogenetic resonance principle wherein our thoughts they get transmitted and affect the thoughts of people around us now the more strong an individual inwardly the vaster the consciousness its effect is going to be far greater and the classical example is one of the examples is buddha what did buddha do where all did he go what did he do that today half a world almost is driven by that thought so this is the way the inner conquest extends it's extends in the ground of consciousness so we have to discover that ground let's say at a practical level what do we do indian context discover our soul this this is what mother said uh, when somebody asked how i can help india rise she said discover your own soul and let and love the soul of india with all that you know like worshiping how shobindo in durga stroth literally worships mother india then because of that by because of that connection because of that link we will see that there will be more and more people who will begin to not think alike because that's not what we want but begin to grow in the sense of a true national consciousness not a false national consciousness which is you know out of fear expansion ambition national egos no not that but a true national consciousness so every individual who lives the spirit of indianness i'm not even down to india it applies to every nation who lives in the spirit of true indianness helps at least 2 3 10% and if his consciousness is vast he doesn't have to speak a word by the very fact that his consciousness is vast we have example of shirvindar today we are having a webinar in his name it affects the entire geopolitical the geographical space because that consciousness transcends space and time it goes through barriers of space and time that's why ramayana and mahabharata continue to inspire us till date so that is the path that uh, you know the the great ones luminous ones who have gone ahead of us as soon uh, outer schemes and all is fine we can do that but the core is this change of consciousness without it outer schemes are going to collapse one way or the other but with this inner change even if outer is not there it will develop it will rebuild itself that's how india has always rebuilt itself despite all the turbulences and turmoil it is rebuilt because its soul is kept intact so let each individual discover his own true self and let that individual love the soul of india not just the outer body outer body a patriot loves the personality a, you know a nationalist loves but the soul of india which a yogi can love and then express that soul in terms of our actions speech um, our feelings and everything uh, and then the rest will it is a question of time it will happen but of course we should not be impatient already we can see it happening but that's the path and yes outwardly there are plenty of schemes and things which people will do that is the easier part the much more difficult part is the inner one thank yes. you thank you so much sir i hope it answers the queries of our participants very well a uh, lot of questions are on one particular topic so i would just combine them and ask them sir uh, i'll just mix two questions one people want to know that when we talk about atmanirbhartha and when we talk about freedom swaraj so with freedom comes the fear the anxiety or the all the bad thoughts another thing is that with the freedom one should like it's there in the heritage there with all of us so one should adhere to the rules of the past or we should create new rules and keep creating newer ones for them. okay 
So uh, I'll start with the second one. It's a uh, much easier to address because first one I am not sure I fully understood because freedom involves freedom from fear also. So true freedom is really gives us freedom unless we mean atmanirbharta in a very external sense. In which case, yes, there are fears because you know it's like almost uh, becoming like a closed community which wants to depend only upon its own people and it's not supported by outside. But that's not the real meaning of freedom. So this part. I think part, that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I want to explain. When we wake up, uh, since we are at the first part, when we wake up to our own strengths, then fear vanishes because we discover that what we can create. It's not about cutting ourselves from Atmanirbharta. Is not that you know I'll cut myself from the whole world. It's about I'll discover my own strengths and bring out the best from it in a larger interconnectedness of the world and of course global community so this is one part of it and the second part what was the second part it's about um, that okay. how uh, we should adhere to the uh, rules of the past yeah 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 okay okay i got that sorry yeah so uh, we must understand that the past is not about rules rules now just as every human being has an outer body and outer way of life habits etc and then he has an inner being which is about our thoughts feelings unseen personality within us and then we have a core which is the soul so the rules and regulations of the past are merely the outer body they are bound to be broken and new things come up it's like we die and we are reborn in new bodies so outer rules and regulations if we only think that that is what we are then it's a path of decline obviously dharma will unfold itself in different age. take for example i mean i am all for sanskrit as a national language is something wonderful but can we say that today we'll start everybody teaching in sanskrit no time has moved on there is english it has its own beauty there is regional languages have come up so they also should come up all of them should come up into a beautiful way and create a much larger harmony so in olden times people used to wear dhoti now today i mean dhoti is a wonderful dress i mean i personally love it but at the same time i don't mean that you know we should say everybody should wear a dhoti otherwise <laughs> you're not so uh, outer things are bound to change in the progressive march of mankind but what is important is the inner thing the core should remain intact and that core will rebuild itself in different ways it's like a constant new discovery i'll give another example in modern context say there are indians who are in india and there are indians who are abroad now beauty is when an indian goes abroad outwardly he may adopt a language he may you know obviously his dress and ways of life change but i'll tell you one thing he carries the soul of india there and infuses its spirit into that culture and there is a beautiful something which comes out of all that process so outwardly it looks like he has changed but if he keeps his core intact of course there are people who lose their core or perhaps had never discovered it now i am not speaking of that but if you keep your core intact and rediscover and reinvent yourself now even within the context of let's say the indian society things will change after all uh, in the vedic times for instance there were not so many temples perhaps there were none the whole focus was on an inner path then over a period of time we became more and more you know external things external things are important at one level because they become uh, ways and means to knit the body of a society see how the ganpati puja which nowadays you know everybody enjoys ganpati bappa moriya how this came in this was basically tilak balgangadhar tilak who you know helped uh, knit a whole society around a common action it didn't exist in the you know shiv puran doesn't talk about uh, a festival like that so outward rituals common practices are ways through which 
humanity most external body gets knit but this should not become rigid to be enforced fully on every individual and if you don't do it then you are you know uh, doing blasphemy then we are taking the path of those uh, religions or cultures which only focus on the outer and forget that the outer derives its strength from the inner so this is what is important that we must know that there will be some outer ways to connect but they should be flexible they should change and evolve with the period of time in ancient times girls didn't go uh, to temple when they had periods now this is a rule of hygiene probably that kind of pads were not there padman was not there now we have you know ways to protect us it's not that god doesn't want us to go of course there are occult aspects and all we can uh, you know enter into but still we are going to the divine him who is beyond everything so the moment we make a very strict rule then we are you know becoming little rigid so while it's all right there will be some uh, you know some changes like on death there are a lot of ceremonies rituals centered around death now in if you see our own tradition there is something very beautiful about breaking and going beyond how does rama offer shraddh to dashratha read it you will see it's very interesting how does he do the last rites of jatayu <laughs> it's very fascinating that in our own tradition there is this tendency to go beyond tradition at and now i'm talking of the indian context krishna he replaces indra puja by govardhan puja it was blasphemous even indra gets annoyed what are you doing so we must understand that outer things will evolve must evolve but they must evolve keeping the spirit of a culture intact if they start becoming an imitation of some other uh, you know culture then that is dangerous that i'll dress the way i want to i'll do what i want to now that culture with a deh atma bodh i mean that line is very thin i don't want to wear a dhoti i don't want to wear a sari is perfectly fine it should be like that girls wearing a jeans perfectly fine but if we start you know a kind of show and glamour and you know all kinds of revelatory thing now that's where we must understand that's about pleasure we are seeking pleasure we are not a society who have uh, sought pleasure as the goal of life we are not a hedonistic society we are a society which have always believed in self transcendence self mastery this is what indianness is about so while we have variety of colors and dresses and everything but we understand this that you know when we our uh, our dress should be an expression of who we are it doesn't matter i wear a dhoti or pant or shorts or jeans is perfectly fine but still it must be an expression of who i am and that's the beauty of uh, you know the change change should be consistent with evolution of the spirit within not an imitation and change for the sake of change or breaking old tradition for the sake of breaking though they must go and give way to new things new ways this is an example nowadays you are having digital puja which at one level is so strange people have adapted to that all this year all the famous festivals which have took place they've all took place digitally so does god care he doesn't care he wants us to do it in the heart so we can equally say okay at this point of time on this year's uh, this this particular festival we'll sit together uh, you know it doesn't matter whether zoom or not link or no link but inwardly we'll be connected and we'll aspire for uh, mother durga to manifest on the durga puja within us we'll prepare ourselves for our coming so that's an evolution outwardly one has not done anything external no vratupvas but one has evolved inside in fact there's a better thing that instead of doing a brat upvas and having a durga puja pandal but next to the pandal you have mahisasur dancing uh, to its glory 
stalls all which are pleasing to mahisasur to sit inside quietly invoke the mother durga in the heart and mind of a people so outward is like that it should be the expression if we do it it should be a beautiful expression of the inner truth and that is a constant process of change when the outer doesn't change even the inner personality that doesn't change and evolve it will subject to degradation dharma means this and constant unfolding of the eternal sanatan dharma there is the eternal truth that is the sanatan aspect of the dharma what is it doing dhra it comes from the root what holds this creation but dharma is also in the unfolding it is manifesting itself differently in the age of mahabharata let's take another example it was cool arjuna could take an arrow and shoot at an enemy and kill him can we do it today we can't do it today and we should not do it today because life has evolved changed collectively individually so we must understand that aspect but still the spirit of arjuna that should remain intact the spirit that war should not be fought in a state of hatred in a state of just looking at personal profit not for ambition not for simply you know uh, running over others but for the sake of the triumph of truth for dharma for you know the dignity of life that should be the motive of a war so this is the change we must the spirit is intact but the means are different thank you thank you so much sir personally answer lot of my questions as well especially freedom if uh, you are still giving you anxiety or bad thoughts or provoking some kind of fear then it's not freedom in true sense and yes nowadays it has its own beauty when people are organizing their home warming pujas and aarti someone is in us even the pandit ji is online <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. so thank you so much for that